I have heard a lot of dramatic life stories over the course of my lifetime, but one stands out as a true life story, I think above all others. And uh, as a young man, I had just been here at Valley Church for a few months, and I got an opportunity to join a short-term missions team to Romania. Romania had just experienced a revolution. The dictator for the past 35 years had been executed by the people, and there was a spiritual renewal and revival that was happening in the land. And I had an opportunity to join a bunch of other people, and we went Uh, to Romania together and I met the local pastor that we were working with in this city that we were working with and I asked him I said tell me a little bit about your life story he says well my life story is a little bit unusual I said okay he said I was as a young boy I was kind of sickly I had a lot of anxiety and I had some serious health problems and at the age of 12 uh, I got really really sick and eventually it got so bad that I had a day in my life when I woke up in the morgue, I said, you, you say that again? He said, I woke up in the morgue. I said, you gotta be kidding me. He said, no, apparently what I'm told was the workers that they, they, I was left there thought that I was dead. The workers noticed some stirring or some movement or some breathing or something. And they said, wait a minute, this one's still alive. And they called medical help and so forth and I, I woke up in the morgue and I, and I was moving. I could see where I was. He said, let me tell you something. When you wake up in the morgue, it changes your perspective. I said, I believe you. That is absolutely the most astounding story I have ever heard of anybody. You talk about a wake up call. He said, it profoundly changed my life. He said, I believe now, I I began to pursue God in a way I never had before. I, I kind of sort of believed in God, but now I believe that God had a purpose for my life. If you wake up in the morgue, you believe that you've been given a second chance at life and that God did have a purpose for my life. It was so dramatic. I, I, I wondered aloud how it changed the perspective of the morgue workers. I mean, it's like a bizarre movie. It's like some kind of zombie apocalyptic movie. I, I see dead people walking. He's, he's alive. And Pastor Andre told me from that point forward, there was no looking back for me. I, I came to faith in Jesus because I believe God had a purpose for my life. I got serious about following Jesus in my life. Eventually, he said, I became a pastor. I felt called to share about new life that you could have in Jesus. I I, I watched this man pastor this church, and he was so generous. He had so little, but he gave what little he had to help other people. He was incredibly courageous. In an an era when for the past 35 years in Romania, the the dictator, uh, Nicolae Ceausescu, had... Uh, bulldozed churches, had killed pastors, had turned Bibles into toilet paper. This man persevered through all that persecution, through all the difficulties that their nation faced. And he lived a full and amazing life. He was fully alive. It was one of the most amazing and inspiring stories of being fully alive. In a sense, he had survived a zombie apocalypse. And today I want to look at the book of Revelation together. Come with me to chapter 3 now. And we're going to learn five keys for being fully alive, for surviving a zombie apocalypse that can happen in our own lives. 
and, and learning how God wants us to live our lives full of, of the Holy Spirit, so full of Jesus that we're living life to the fullest. For most people, <laughs> when you take them to their morgue, it's their last trip. It's a little late. But for all of us who are taken in this message, it's not too late. If you have breath in your lungs, no matter what you face in your life, it's not too late. God wants you to live a life that's fully alive. And let's live every single day to the fullest. How do we do that? Revelation chapter 3 begins right to the angel of the church in Sardis. But I want to take you to the map of the seven churches here. So here we have Patmos. Remember we've said before, here's Italy, here's Greece, here's Turkey, Patmos. Uh, and let's try something out here. How about this? We're going to learn exactly where Patmos is. Okay, there we go. We'll try this actually. Here's Patmos right here in that little place. Why am I circling that? Because I have a new toy here and I wanted you to see it working. Okay, so anyway, so John writes from Patmos to these seven churches beginning at Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamum to Thyatira. Now we're to the fifth of the seven churches, Sardis, right there. Woohoo! There we go, Sardis. That's where we come to, right to the church at, uh, in Sardis, the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So he writes these seven historical churches in the first century who had various struggles. Um, so far we've covered the church at Ephesus. That church was slipping away from their first love. In Smyrna, the church was facing persecution. In Pergamum, the church had some who held to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. To Th uh, Thyatira, the church was tolerating Jezebel. Remember that last weekend. And in Sardis, the church seemed to be doing well. And Jesus says to them, thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And we, this is from chapter one, actually. And remember, we said, you know, I knew Revelation was going to get weird. And here it is, seven spirits of God. Do, 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 do. What's that all about? And we said, guys, if you lived in the first century, you understood this. This was referring back to Zechariah chapter four, Old Testament teaching, lampstand with seven lights. They're the light of the world. Each of these churches is making a difference or supposed to be making a difference. And the seven spirits of God is, is not individual spirits. It's the sevenfold Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit in fullness. The number seven in the book of Revelation and in the ancient world was a symbol of completeness or fullness or perfection. And he says, Jesus Christ sends his Holy Spirit. He, he is the one who has the sevenfold Spirit of God. And we also learn uh, in Isaiah chapter 11, there's a prophecy of the coming Spirit of the Lord Jesus, right? It's going to come. And what's this? Okay, again, we're going to do the little, the, uh, little marker here, okay? Um, the Spirit of the Lord. Why is it sevenfold? The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. One, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, strength, knowledge, spirit of uh, the fear of the Lord. Seven traits of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I'm offering all of those to you. Did you get, catch all those? The spirit of God himself coming upon us. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, taking God seriously. All of these things. Or for, our, for us, if you want to live fully alive, you trust and rely on Jesus who has the, 
sevenfold spirit to give to you. And then he says, I hold the seven stars. He has the seven stars in his right hand, which is stands for the angels of those churches. So he's Jesus Christ holds the stars of the universe. He holds all these spiritual beings that are guardians over the churches and he holds those churches in his hand. Jesus has totally got it. He is in control. His hand is steady. He holds on to his people. He can hold the universe of stars in his hands. He can hold the churches and he can hold you. So here's the first principle. You want to live fully alive? Number one, rely on the empowering spirit of Jesus and leadership of Jesus. If you want to live fully alive, you don't look to yourself, to your strength, to your adequacy, to your performance, to your self-sufficiency, to your own gifts and abilities and strengths. But instead you look to the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the leadership of Jesus in your life. I've caught a couple questions for you, seriously. What are you doing? What am I doing today in my life that totally requires the sevenfold spirit of Jesus to show up? What am I doing in my life that absolutely necessitates Jesus Christ holding on to me, leading me, guiding me? Not that his leadership is nice or that his Holy Spirit is a nice bonus, but without him, I'm a goner. I'm dead. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. What am I doing? What am I attempting in my life? How am I living in such a way that I have to depend on Jesus? Guys, I remember back in September 2019 when my wife, the awesome Ruth Steve, was in the hospital. She was in the hospital for 18 long days in a little room. And those were long days, guys, and they were hard days for Ruth. And they were hard days for me. And I remember driving away from the hospital and staying in the local area. And I just was so trusting in Jesus for my wife and for my life. I was reminded at that time in my life how desperately I needed Jesus. I needed Jesus Christ. I needed his Holy Spirit. I needed the leadership and the help of Jesus in my life. The sevenfold spirit. Not two out of three. Not best three out of five. I needed the sevenfold spirit of Jesus in my life. The one who holds the angels, the churches, and me in his hand. So if you want to live a full life for starters, you say, I can't live life on my own. I've got to rely on the empowering spirit of Jesus and his empowering leadership. And here's the crazy thing, guys. It's when we realize that Jesus is all we have that we finally learn that Jesus is all we need. And what a gift is given to us when we really realize that. This is the real deal. After uh, demonstrating himself to them in these powerful images, Jesus then addresses the church at Sardis. And he says some very sobering words to this church. He says, I know your works. You have a reputation. Literally, you have a name. You got a name for yourself. And the reputation you have is for being alive. You're this life Incredible life, church. But you are dead. Wow. You have a name for being the happening place in town. For being this amazing Christian. But in reality, he says, 
you're dead. Now to give a little bit of background on what this is all about, I want to go to drive through history and Dave Stotts to get a little background on Sardis. Check this out. Next stop is Sardis, about 30 miles southeast of here. Located on a major highway connecting the Aegean coast to the east, Sardis was a stronghold city in ancient times. The citadel of Sardis was known for its military strength and described by some ancient historians as being, quote, the strongest place on earth. Now, Sardis became the capital of the Lydian Empire in the 7th century BC. The wealth of the city came from the fertile farmland outside the city, the Pactolus River, which contained gold dust, and more specifically, an alloy called electrum. Now, the Lydian Empire is said to have invented coinage, and the Lydian stator is famous for having been the earliest type of coin ever minted. During the Roman period, one of the things Sardis was known for was this incredible gymnasium and bath complex. Yeah, I was, I was here about 15 or so years ago when I rocked the push-ups. I wonder if anybody here remembers me. 71, 72, feel the burn. Hey, 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 uh, keep that camera up here, please. Thanks. 73, 74, Yeah, it's probably better that they didn't. During the first century, Sardis also had a theater that fit about 20,000 people, a stadium for about 12,000, an aqueduct, and temples to Roman emperors such as Augustus and Tiberius. However, as impressive as this ancient city was, John had some stern warnings for the Christians who lived here. To the angel of the church in Sardis writes, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Revelation 3, 1 through 3. In this letter, the Christians have a reputation for being alive yet dead, and were then commanded to wake up and strengthen the things that remain. Now, some scholars have suggested that this language pointed to the destructive earthquake of 17 AD, which totally destroyed the city. Sardis's name and reputation survived, but the city was destroyed. Furthermore, the earthquake happened in the middle of the night when the people were asleep and the residents apparently had not paid attention to the tremors leading up to this massive earthquake. So guys, Sardis was this place that was wealthy. There, the citadel high on the hill, the city was built on the side of a hill with the, on a cliff so steep it was felt no one could ever scale that and overcome their enemies could not overcome them they were strong they were wealthy they were amazing and the the church itself in Sardis kind of began to believe and read their own headlines about themselves and they had this reputation of being all that just like their city was all that I mean Sardis was a happening place 
And the church began to believe these things about themselves. And so the, the reminder here is that he says, you can have a name, you can have a reputation for being alive, but spiritually, he says, you're not healthy. In fact, you're dead. Here's the principle I'm going to give to you. Focus on the reality of your spiritual vitality, not the reputation of your spiritual vitality. It's not how you look on the outside that matters. It's what's within your actual true health. So what basically what happened here in Sardis is they, in a sense, they go to the doctor, Jesus, and he tells them, I got some bad news for you. You're dead. Wait, what? Yeah, get the defibrillator out. Stat, perform the Heimlich maneuver. You're no longer breathing. Pop the nitroglycerin tablet now before it's too late. This is like a zombie apocalypse. It's like you're, you look like you're alive, but you actually are dead. There, there's no soul there. There's no heart there. There's no passion there. There's no fire there. Here's the funny thing about the Sardis church. As you read the letter, there's nothing in it about false teaching. There's nothing about persecution. There's nothing directly about idolatry or immorality. It seems like everything is running smoothly, except there's no life. There's apathy. There's indifference. They're respectable. They're safe. But there's no passion for Jesus. There's not a deep love that's inspiring them and motivating them. And a lot of people say, yeah, that's a good place. People there, yeah, it's good. But really, Jesus sees through what other people say. And he says, there's no heart there for, for me. Apparently, they had been content to go through the motions and slowly take on the traits and the surrounding culture and even the things that people aspired to be like Sardis. They said, that's what we're like. And it's killed them. It's the zombie apocalypse. It's people that look and act like living, breathing human beings, but they have no soul life. They are the walking dead. And it's been revealed by Jesus that their zombie status it's been uncovered. That's the apocalypse part. Apocalypse means revelation, right? Uncovering, pulling back the curtain. And he's pulled back the curtain that you guys are more like zombies than real life followers of Jesus. Here's something else about dying. And I, I don't want to be morbid here or anything, but there are many, many ways for people to die. I mean, you can list as many as you can possibly think of. So many different systems in your body that can stop working. Some disease that can take you. Some tragedy or something totally unpredictable happens in your life. Whatever. And I think when we think of dead or dying churches or dead or dying Christians, we usually think of people that are not like us. People who have problems or issues that we don't happen to struggle with. How convenient of me to think that way. That it's those other people out there. But this is a good wake-up call for all of us. You may not be spiritually dead. You may be spiritually alive. But still there's a good thing for us to consider here. Really what he's taking on here is what I would call nominal Christianity. It's being a Christian in name only. It's being a Christian just as kind of a reputation rather than a living daily reality. And I, I thought of a bunch of different ways that you could 
be kind of a nominal, which means in name only, Christian, and really not be alive and, and really be dead. Um, I thought of a few of them. Let me give them to you. Here's one. The empty formalist. Here's a person who's churchy and religious and moral. But as far as a heart for Jesus, there's really not a pulse. There's no personal connection. Then there's the nasty traditionalist. These are like the Pharisees who have all their doctrine lined up straight and they're really proud of themselves. And there's an arrogance there and kind of swagger that looks down on other people who haven't got it figured out as well as they're really smart Bible people. But they're judgmental. They're nasty. They're mean spirited. That's death. Here's another one. The trendy culturalist. This is the other end of the spectrum. This is the person who's really cool and, and talks about hip things and following Jesus and so forth. But in reality, it's, not, it's more about following causes or following the latest trends or fads, even good stuff. But it's not connected to Jesus. There's no life in the vine. It's just about causes that may be great stuff, but it's kind of trendy, culturalist. Then there's the Christless moralist. This is a person who, good moral citizen, but they don't know Jesus. They have a lot of their own righteousness, but they don't have the righteousness that comes through Christ by trusting in him fully and what he's done on the cross. There's the Bible-believing imposter. We've seen a lot of those fakes and frauds and charlatans who live this life, this secret life, or they live to take advantage of other people. They're just Bible-believing imposters. They believe all the right things, but it's not real. Then there's the culture-bound disciples. Here are people that, that get so wound up in what's happening in culture that they really are more identified with, with some political thing or some cultural thing than about, than about Jesus. I mean, they've been captured by the heart of some right-wing or, or left-wing agenda that... Jesus is sort of irrelevant to their lives. It's more about those causes. That's a culture-bound uh, disciple, but it's not a disciple of Jesus. And then there's the adrenaline junkies. Here are people that are just like they're kind of spiritual high seekers. They just want spiritual highs. They like the experience of it, but it's not really an experience of Jesus. It's just the experience of the experience. And then there's lastly the, what I call the two-faced traitors. These are the ones like Judas who literally kissed Jesus, but they're betraying him. They're cheating on Jesus. Jesus warned in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, many, many will say to me on that day, I did this for you and I did this for you and I did these miracles and it was amazing. And he said, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, depart from me. So guys, these are, these are heavy things. And we need to make sure in our own hearts that there's, there's a reality of Jesus in our lives, that we truly trust in, in Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ, and, and his life and his, his death and his resurrection. And that's a, a living, vibrant reality in our lives. He says in verse 2, Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I've not found your works complete before my God. So that first principle is focus on the reality, not the reputation of your spiritual vitality. Here he says, wake up, strengthen what's there. What is, what do we say? About to die. Okay, here we're going to use the fancy tool here again, all right? 
about to die. So is it that they're dead, you are dead, or that they're about to die? Which one is it? Is it dead or about to die? Mostly dead is slightly alive. That's what I learned from the Princess Bride, right? Mostly dead is slightly alive. So they actually, there were some of them that probably were just spiritually dead. And then there were others that were just kind of on life support, barely hanging on. But he said, wake up, be alert, strengthen what remains. You need some serious help here. It's about to die. For I've not found your works complete before my God. Here's the principle for all of us to stay fully alive in Jesus is we want to heed our spiritual health. We want to pay attention to what's going on inside of here. We don't want to slowly lose that spiritual life that we have. And strengthen your faith muscles. Strengthen those. Whatever it is, they could be really weak. It's not too late. And there's some of you here listening to this message that you, you believe in Jesus. And maybe a long time ago, maybe in childhood, um, you came to a faith in Jesus. But there's some, there's some weakness there now. Maybe you've well, uh, wandered. Maybe you've strayed. Maybe you've just let that fire burn down. Maybe you've lost connection. Here's the first step for you to take. You say, Jesus, I want you to return in full strength in my life. I'm looking to you. I'm trusting in you. I need you. Every hour I need you. You pay attention to your spiritual health. It's important to you. And you say, Jesus, strengthen whatever there is in my life that needs you and bring healing to me, bring health to me, strengthen me. Um, it's interesting here at Sardis, he says, um, wake up, be alert, pay attention. The word there is, is about that. And it really is connected to Sardis's past. So we got a picture here of Sardis. So stay here. So they had, this is, the, the city was built on the side of the steep precipice. And this, this, this cliff was so steep that Sardis was known as the strongest place on earth. In fact, they said, we can never be overtaken by our enemies. We're so secure. That's what they thought. And yet there was twice in their history as a people, the Sardians, where they just didn't guard it. And their enemies said, actually, maybe we can scale those cliffs. And guess what? Foreign armies twice in their history scaled those cliffs and overtook them and, and, and conquered them as a people. Because they said, this is, we're so strong, we don't need to guard this. One author once said, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. If you, don't, if you just take it for granted, oh, I'm fine, I'm good, I don't need to pay attention. He says, you might be like Sardis. Satan knows your, weak, uh, your, your, your weakness may be that you're so cocky and so confident of your strength that you're not even paying attention. And so he will, in his audacity, challenge you, even in your area of strength, and take you down. And then, and then Jesus says, strengthen what remains. Sardis, here, check it out here. Here's another one. Strengthen what remains. So you have this incredible strength and you still have something left here to build on. Yeah, you got conquered a couple times. The church, yeah, there's been some rough times. And yeah, you've been a lot of lifelessness, a lot of formality or a lot of tradition or whatever it was. And he says, strengthen what remains. You maybe have lost some ground, but you still got something there. Strengthen what remains. Guys, I, 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 I know I keep going back to Ruth's life, but she's such an inspiration to me. And um, when Ruth had her surgery uh, back in September of 2019 in her pelvis, and they removed her right pelvis, 
there are three sets of muscles around your pelvis and they remove two of those three sets of muscles. And so she really only has one set of muscles now where there used to be three. You know what she has done? She has dedicated the last two and a half plus years of her life to strengthening what remains. She said, those muscles that I still have have to become so strong. And of all, there are many people who've been amazed at her recovery, including her medical, um, the medical professionals that have helped her and a physical therapist. But she's taken whatever she has and she's strengthened that. It's a good reminder to us, strengthen what you have. Maybe there's some areas that need some working out in your spiritual life. You may not be dead, but maybe there's some weak areas that you say, you know, I need, to, I need to pump some iron in that area. I've been ignoring that part of my spiritual walk. I've been ignoring this or that or whatever. I don't know what it is, but God will speak to you about that. And then he says, I have not found your works, Sardis. I have not found your works, church, complete before my father. Back to Sardis here for a minute. They had a temple to, to Artemis that they were granted. They had that big earthquake and then they said, okay, you can have a temple and they made this temple for Artemis. Here's the crazy thing. People worshiped in the temple of Artemis, this pagan goddess, for 800 years. And guess what? The people of Sardis never actually finished the temple. They only had eight centuries, but they never got it done. And so what, what Jesus does, he picks up on things that are of cultural relevance. They knew about that unfinished temple that he had nothing to do with, of course. But he says, you didn't finish. You, you started, but you, you didn't really make it completely yours. You didn't finish what, what, what I began in your heart. So maybe there's some areas in your life that you want to live fully alive Maybe you've started some things, but you need to follow through on them and just say, I need to finish what God has started in my life. And it's not a day for guilt or, or, or condemnation. It's just like, hey, pump it up, strengthen what remains, get to it and finish what God has started in your life. Keep going strong. By the way, as I share all these things about Sardis, we understand that the, when we learn about the historical and cultural background, it can really help us to understand sometimes the strange and sometimes complicated book of Revelation. And to just remind you uh, on, uh, of our Digging Deeper sessions, we're offering those from time to time. The next one is uh, Monday, June 6th in the chapel. We're going to have an overview of all the churches of Revelation. And we have a very special guest, Dr. Kenneth Cuffey who's the president of Urbana Theological Seminary. He has led uh, trips, uh, tours to the seven churches of Revelation, incredible scholar. You do not want to miss this one. Mark it down, circle it on your calendar. Maybe that's been an area you'd like to strengthen something uh, is your own knowledge and ability to understand God's word. Show up on Monday, June 6th for that. But then keep going. Heed your spiritual health. Strengthen your faith muscles. Verse three, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Here's the fourth principle. Treasure all you have in Christ. Treasure all you have in Christ. He says, remember. Bring it to your mind. Bring it to the forefront of your mind. What you've received and what you've heard. Keep it. Treasure it. Hold it, love it, and turn, repent. Turn it around. Let's get this thing going. It is Memorial Day weekend in America. 
And I remember when our family was on a, a journey in, in France and we were serving uh, some missionaries there and we went to the American cemetery in Normandy where thousands and thousands of American soldiers, brave soldiers, gave their lives for our freedom and our security and really for the whole world. On D-Day, they stormed the beaches of Normandy and thousands of them perished. And, and this place is just an incredible place. And when I told our kids, and they were much younger, of course, when I told them we were going to go visit a cemetery, they were like, really? Wow, Dad. But when they got there, and when they saw this place, they said it was one of the most memorable and powerful moments for them as American citizens to see the sacrifice. One of my kids said, I have never been prouder to be an American than on that day when I saw the incredible sacrifice that had been made. And so as Americans, we pause and remember the immense sacrifices that have been given who, of those who gave their, their all, they gave their lives for us. And we treasure it and we don't let it pass by. So I say that. But he reminds us today, the Lord Jesus reminds us that yeah, we've, we've received some incredible things as a nation. But there's something even greater. There's a life that was given to you through Jesus on the cross. And not just for one nation or even a collection of nations, but for the world. Jesus laying down his life, taking the full sacrifice for a full payment for our sins on, on the cross for us. He says, remember that what you have received, the incredible love of Jesus. Remember the sacrifice that he made. What you've received was when they came to trust in Jesus, they received the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold Holy Spirit. Remember, God gave you his life. God himself now dwells within you. Did you forget about that? He's saying, treasure that. That should be so incredibly miraculous and amazing to you. And he says, treasure also what you've heard. You heard the gospel in the midst of paganism. He says to Sardis, you had the privilege of having somebody come to you and somebody tell you about Jesus. And everyone here who's hearing this, you've heard that too. Somebody somewhere, someplace told you the gospel. Do you treasure that? Is that important to you? Remember that. Bring that to mind. What you've received, the Holy Spirit, what you've heard, the good news. Keep it. Treasure it. Love it. And repent, turn it around if you've forgotten about it. If you're going the wrong direction, turn it around. Start remembering again. And guys, if you see things around you in the world and you've just been complaining about it, can I encourage you that there is nothing on earth more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of Jesus the gospel can turn things around that nothing else, no power on earth can. The Holy Spirit can do works and miracles and change hearts in ways that nothing else can. And I'm not saying other things aren't important. But guys, let's remember the heart and soul of it all is the gospel. So let's quit griping or complaining if we have been or lamenting. Yes, we, we mourn losses. But let's just not focus on that. Let's remember what we have. 
We have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus. We have the gospel. Jesus told a parable once, the parable of two sons. And he said, the owner of the vineyard came and said to his two sons, the father said, go and work in my vineyard. And one of the sons said, I go, sir. Yes, I'm all over it. I, I will be there. But then Jesus in the parable says, but he did not go. He had a reputation, a name for being enthusiastic and amazing, but he actually never did anything. He didn't go work in the vineyard. And then the second son in the parable, he says, he says, I will not go. But later he changed his mind and he went to work in the vineyard. And Jesus asked the penetrating question, which of the two sons did the will of the father? And the answer, of course, the one who did, who actually followed through. It wasn't the one that had the spine-tingling emotional performance and everyone was impressed and had a name for himself. Is the one who maybe was reluctant at first but said, okay, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to follow through and I'm going to do what Jesus called me to do. That's what I'm saying here. Treasure all you have in Christ and follow through on that. That's amazing. And I just want to remind you, we've got a couple of great opportunities. There's lots of things that you may be called to do as a result of this message in your own heart and life. But there's a couple of things I want to remind you about in our own community. As we bring the gospel, as we bring the love of Jesus, as the spirit of Jesus comes to our community. You want to turn our community right side up? Then we, with the Holy Spirit filling our hearts and lives, we take that to our community. There's an opportunity to come June 11th through the 19th. Love you, Des Moines. Sign up, volunteer, invite people. Come, bring, make a difference. And don't say, yeah, I'll go but end up not going. And maybe you're a little iffy and maybe I will join in this. Maybe this is what I need to do. God's calling you. And I think, I can't imagine there's not one of those 200 activities that you can't do something about. I'd love to have you involved. And then of course, just a reminder about our Good for All conference. If you want to strengthen what remains, if you want to get charged up for faith in Jesus and walking with Jesus and taking that to our community in a powerful new way, please come to the national conference we are hosting, Good For All 2022, and get signed up for that ASAP, all right? We got uh, very early bird pricing for you right now. Don't delay, make it happen. Heed your own spiritual health and your passion. Strengthen your faith muscles. Take this opportunity, get signed up and be along. And whatever God's calling you to do, follow through on it. He says, if you're not alert to the church at Sardis, I will come like a thief and you have no idea what hour I will come upon you. Quick story. My first babysitting experience. Um, my sister was babysitting somebody and then she couldn't do it. And she kind of said, I have to tell them and they're so late and they'll take anybody. So they took me. And so I, I ended up doing this babysitting job. It's the first babysitting job I'd ever had. I was pretty young and I was kind of, you know, not really paying attention. And the parents were out really, really late. So they said, okay, here's what you do with our kids. And so they had two kids and they weren't really young. I mean, they, I mean, they weren't like two or a baby or anything. They were like, you know, 10, um, eight and 10 or something. And I'm watching them. I'm kind of responsible anyway. Anyway, somehow or another, guess what? I, I, I let them watch a little kid's movie or something. And guess what happened? I fell asleep on the couch. 
And the next thing that happened that I remember was the parents coming in the front door. And it's like 1130 at night and their kids are still awake watching TV. And I'm the babysitter. I'm asleep on the couch. Oh, yeah. Be alert. Wake up. I'll come like a thief when you're not expecting it. That's what happened to me in my first babysitting period. I was never asked again to do that. And I did tell Ruth that before we had kids. But I have vastly improved. I've gotten a lot better and I'm a responsible adult now. He says to them, if you're sleepy, if you're not heeding this message, beware. Be on the alert. I will come like a thief. The word thief is not an evil thing in this context. It's not, it's not suddenness. It's unexpectedness. You don't plan for the thief to come. That's why, you know, he just shows up when you're not expecting and that's what Jesus says. This probably, this little saying probably refers to Jesus visiting that church in their immediate situation and saying, I'm going to show up and, you know, we're going to do some business with you guys. But it also, of course, refers to all of us of his glorious second coming. We don't know when that day or hour comes. And so we always want to be alert for Jesus. The city itself, Sardis, got caught got off guard twice in their history and got overtaken and conquered by their enemies because they weren't prepared and they weren't prepared for the earthquake either. They could have fled the town, but many perished because they were not ready. For a lot of people in, throughout the world, they say, you know, someday I'll get serious about following Jesus. Someday I'll get involved in the mission of Jesus. Someday I'll address this moral failure in my life. Someday I'll start living for Jesus, a full life. And then suddenly the earthquake comes and the soldiers come over the wall. I'm driving along and the whole dashboard of warning icons lights up. And there's some kind of disaster or this slow incremental falling asleep. And then suddenly Jesus makes it clear that We've blown it. We've squandered our opportunities. We're ignoring all the warning signs of our spiritual health and we have some kind of life heart attack. He says, don't let that happen to you. Be alert. Be on the alert. Always on your guard. Guard your heart. He does say in verse 4, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes. Defile their clothes is getting dirty, compromising. Um, and they will walk with me in white, not defile their clothes, um, but seriously, he says, don't walk with me in integrity and purity. They've trusted in Jesus, these folks. He says they haven't defiled themselves. He's given them his righteousness and it shows up in their vibrant faith. They're walking and they're living in a way that matches their spiritual profession. They're not nominal Christians. They are real Christians. There's real energy. There's real life. There's real passion. There's not complacency and apathy. And they're not perfect by any stretch but they are authentic. They walk with Jesus. And he says, I've given them my righteousness through the cross and they in eternity will walk with me. And he says that promise to us as well. Verse five, in the same way, the one who conquers and is not conquered will be dressed in white clothes. White clothes was a symbol of victory. It was a symbol of authority in the Roman Empire. It sounds like you are now very important. You have now conquered. You have overcome all the other forces. You get to be dressed in white. And he says, that will be you in eternity. And I will never erase his name from the book of life. Sometimes traitors in the, in the city records, um, they, their names are crossed out because they say they're no longer a citizen. I don't think this is saying that you lose your salvation, but I'm saying there's some people that just are frauds or, or, or 
uh, or not the real deal. They've never come to a living, true faith in Jesus. And he wants to reassure them, you conquer, you, you, you walk with me. You never need to worry about your security. In the book of life, I will acknowledge your, uh, his name, he says, before my father and before his angels. And all this to, to me just tells me principle number five for being fully alive is fuel passion for eternity. Think more about what life is going to be like, not a week from now, not a year from now, not at the, even at the end of your life, but in a billion, mil, million, billion years, what are you going to care about? And it's going to be your connection to Jesus. So I just say set your height, sights higher, fuel passion for eternity. And in verse six, he says, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Can you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, I, I think that everybody who's hearing this wants deep down to be fully alive in your spirit and walking with you. Strangely enough, in this passage, you're telling that that kind of life starts with listening. So help everybody here to block out all the noise around them and just listen to your Holy Spirit speaking to them. Lord, help us to block out and all the opinions that we're hearing around us and start listening to the voice of your Spirit. Help us to pause long enough to not have an opinion or express an opinion or post our thoughts, but just take a deep breath and hear from you, your life-giving Spirit. And Lord Jesus, Help us not to worry about so much what everybody else thinks and the reputation we have, but rather what you think of us and the life that we can have in you. And today, I, I, very few of us, Father, ever get the, a chance like my friend Pastor Andre got to get a second chance at life in that sort of way. But all of us who hear this message today, we've got an opportunity to say, I, from this day forward, I don't want to live half-heartedly. I don't want to be dead and passionless. I want to live full on, all in, not holding back and follow Jesus with everything I have. Help us all to do that. For the first time or just in a rededication of our lives to you in a powerful, fresh way today. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you guys and thanks for being with us today.